and welcome to the Happy Baby Podcast. The Happy Baby Podcast is hosted by Frank Kelleher. Frank is one of the best-known paediatric osteopaths in Ireland. Over the last 20 years, he has helped well over 10,000 families with some of the most common issues that can challenge babies and children. The Happy Baby Podcast is all about providing information for parents on the common issues that can affect their baby or child, and more importantly, where to get help. Our aim is to provide parents with good, practical, professional information to help them navigate their little one's health needs more effectively. This podcast is not, however, intended as a substitute for medical diagnosis or treatment from a qualified health professional. If you have any concerns about your child, you should contact the appropriate health professional. Hello and welcome to the Happy Baby Podcast. In today's episode, Frank is talking to Chris McFadden. Chris is the only male sleep consultant in Ireland and the UK. He was born in Donegal and was brought up in Glasgow and now runs the Daddy Sleep Consultant with his wife Danny. Chris and his team specialise in designing sleep training programmes specific to your family and lifestyle for children from five months to four years old. So, let's get started. So you're very welcome, Chris. And why don't you start off, I suppose, by telling us how you became a sleep consultant? Where, when did it all happen? Thanks for having me, Frank. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. So we, my wife Danny and I, we are we're parents yeah. to three wonderful little boys, Teddy. Rafferty and uh, Maliki. You'll see the, the Irish connections through some of them yes. named anyway. And Teddy, who's, who's nearly four now, um, God, where's those, where have those four years gone? Um, he was awful at sleeping. Okay. There's no other way to, to describe it. He was terrible. He had, he had the stamina of a, a 25-year-old athlete. It was it was incredible. He didn't want to sleep during the day. Getting okay. him down at night was 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 difficult, um, okay. and he physically, mentally, and emotionally broke us. Um, we right. loved him, and we loved being parents, but it was tough. It was really tough, and and we had a wall around six months, and we were speaking to friends, and and they told us about some sleep consultants and we did some research we didn't know what a sleep consultant was we'd heard of letting a baby cry and and hopefully they'll fall to sleep um we tried that unsuccessfully didn't want to do that it did not work then it was horrible Um, and we reached out to our local sleep consultant and without sounding too dramatic she changed our lives in about two weeks time it was really that swift a change and that dramatic a change. We went from being sleep-deprived parents and with a baby who didn't like to sleep other than on us or in our bed um, or being rocked to sleep or being given a bottle even when he wasn't hungry to being able to do it pretty much by himself most of the night. Um, daytime naps improved as well. He was sleeping the amount of hours in the day and, and we were happier parents and we of course chatted we had glasses of wine together we had dinners together watched movies and netflix we became a bit more like our old selves because obviously when you become first-time parents your life changes forever Um, but we got a little bit of our old selves back just in the evenings and it was nice and it was nice and it dawned on us how much that that person had helped us literally changed our lives and we wanted to look at how we could help others do the same and that's where the daddy sleep consultant was born out of we decided to 
help families in the same way um, that that woman helped us so dramatically. Great stuff, yeah. So it was obviously you had personal experience and that's yes. what brought you into that world. And yeah, absolutely. That was three and a half years ago and uh, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> and you work with your your wife, Chris, and so do I. Actually, Rose and I have worked together for the last 25 years. Really. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> my question is how do you find it and are you like us we're always taking our work home or talking about work stuff that, that's a real challenge for us Frank yeah. I think the good thing from our perspective is we're so passionate about our clients Yes, our clients babies and toddlers and we talk about them and our experiences with them and we bounce off ideas and problems and sometimes it's nice to get a little bit of fresh perspective from one another um, on a client that's not specifically ours as in individuals. Um, We're also very passionate about growing the business and we love talking about how we can reach out to more people geographically um, in different ways. We had our online courses, um, how we can reach out to more dads as well. That's something we're very passionate about. Um, so we yes, we do. And sometimes we do say, okay, enough is enough. We've had dinner. We've had a chat about things. We've set up some additional things that we're wanting to be doing. Then yeah. it's time to go and watch a bit of TV and we don't talk about it anymore. Um, and that's, that's, that's can be when I, when I don't want to stop talking or stop discussing the business or Danny doesn't want to stop doing it, it can be frustrating, but we also understand that that cut off some point is, is important so that we can have, plenty of time to switch off especially before bed um in terms of how we work we're, we're so different danny's a, a visionary uh she is a very kind of strategic thinker okay. um thinks like a mum as well which is great yeah. um, i'm a bit more practical more operational so i uh, very more kind of technical website driven so we bring so many different qualities to the business and we actually i never thought we would say this but we're a bit like a yin, yin and yang we we complement each other i think if we w- worked very alike then i think we would clash a lot but um oh we have our moments but yeah we we, we complement each other and we just have to make sure we set some boundaries around as you say cutting off the work so that we do have some time as personal individuals as husband and wife yeah. rather than just business colleagues and you ha- you were just mentioning there that you have three three children chris yeah. and did did i read or did you say at some point on the, the the literature on the website that some of the the kids had reflux is that right yeah all I of them. Would, because i would see reflux every day at the clinic so yeah. i know how difficult this can be for babies and for their parents really yeah. and like I think if I'd been in Cork, you'd have been the first man I came to. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> how is reflux, like, how do you think reflux affects their sleep or, like, your ability as a parent to create a good sleep routine? Do you think it's linked sometimes? Oh, yeah, really, really very much so. We So all three boys have had reflux. Very different experiences as well. Um, yeah. t- Teddy, our first, was more of the kind of sick bringing up the milk reflux and actually we felt that change, when we changed his bottles so that all of the boys have been primarily bottle fed after the initial kind of 10 to 14 days of, of breastfeeding yeah. um, and once we changed bottles with Teddy um, it made such a difference to his reflux and he stopped uh, bringing up a lot of the milk which was great. With our second child Rafferty it was very much in the kind of silent slash acid reflux um, okay. where he wasn't bringing up the milk but we held these tummy moves. Moving. He was so uncomfortable um, when he was lying on his back. 
And with a third child, Maliki, we're, we're just out the other side of it now. His was probably w- the worst of the three because he couldn't even lie on his back from, from a, right. for quite a period of time. We got some osteopath done um, yeah. and it helped, but only for one night. And we did go back for a second session and she, she was very candid with, the, with us and said that the, the reflux... We, she couldn't do any more. He he'd relaxed so much more. Now he was born. Um, he was born with forceps, and he was stuck in the birth canal for a, oh, for a couple yeah. of good couple of hours. And he was born with a really strong neck, which I'm sure contributed to it. Um, yeah. But she couldn't do any more, and it was just it was definitely the reflux that was causing him problems. And he wasn't able to sleep on his back for periods of time. And and that's where we see so many challenges with parents that. The baby just won't lie on its back. They're not able to. It's so uncomfortable. Um, and therefore, that what happens is the baby will then end up sleeping on mum or dad uh, yes. or caregiver for the majority of the time, day and night. As parents, we do not like to see our child uncomfortable. And of that course. can lead to these situations where, unfortunately, mum or dad is, is lying awake all night or most of the night whilst the baby sleeps on them and obviously from a safe sleeping perspective that's okay. that's not really good but but I also understand that why parents do that because you do not want to see your baby in pain and, and giving that comfort of them lying on the front on you can give them that relief that they need to then get some sleep. Obviously the, the long term impact can be, can be challenging um, because then baby will often have sleep patterns that are maybe not sustainable and obviously, they're then the sleep deprivation that can that can challenge parents as well. What what I say to pay, parents when and and I don't really work with too many parents that have got babies with reflux in the sense mm. that by the time they come and work with me, it's usually towards the end of the reflux journey. Yes. But I do speak to a lot of people on social media about it, and what I do say is, where possible. You try and get your baby on the back, look at osteopath, look at tongue tie, look at the reasons which could be causing it. Yeah. But if you can't, the most thing, the important thing you do is, is make sure that you're all getting as much sleep as you possibly can, especially the baby, and, and survive. Any sleep patterns and habits that you're worried about can all be resolved in the future. That's not to say that it's not important or it's not going to be difficult. But when parents come to me and say, oh, am I creating bad habits? I don't want to do this. And, and then they don't sleep or I'm going to have long term problems. That is all resolvable. Not always easy, but it's resolvable with, with well, working with people like myself. And yeah. the most important point is getting through the reflux process um, and getting that resolved. And then we can work on the sleep. And usually by the time, uh, you'll know more than me, but in my experiences, babies' reflux do, does tend to improve around kind of five, six, seven months as a baby learns to sit up. And yeah. as, um, I don't know if weaning, they say weaning helps. I'm not always convinced on that. But um, that certainly setting up helped our children. Um, and then we can work on the sleep and it can all be done within that first kind of nine or 12 months. So it's not always the two or three year worry that parents often often fear. With our kids, we were lucky. We had four kids ourselves and thank God they were all good sleepers. To yeah. be honest, even though one of them had reflux, the first boy. But like you come home with your newborn baby, obviously, what would be your advice for parents of a newborn baby in terms of what can they do from the start to sort of create, you know, in the first number of weeks, it's about trying to create routines, Chris, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. What, 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 what should they be looking at or trying to do? So I think the, the one thing that um, parents may not always know is that a newborn baby will sleep 18, 20 hours a day. Um, 
And I think some of the challenges that parents often think is, well, my baby's got great stamina. They just like to be awake, but they should be sleeping. The reason that they're probably not sleeping as much in those, if they don't sleep as much in those early days is because maybe they're not getting as much uh, milk. Um, and therefore, they're not feeling as content um, when they lie on their back and then they wake up. Um, and if it means that you have to kind of nap, they're napping on you constantly and then so be it. I think it's important for a baby to get sleep. But the, Two of the biggest things that are really important in those early days are, one, a bedtime routine. What you're doing is by creating a bedtime routine, you're separating daytime and nighttime. Best case scenario, a baby comes out of the womb and doesn't know the difference between day and night. Worst case scenario is, is they're upside down and the, the nights are daytime and daytime are nighttime. And that's yeah. often the case because when babies are in mummy's tummy, they are being rocked to sleep a lot of the time during the day when mum is moving around and is active and then when mum lies down and tries to get some sleep at night that's when the baby is maybe more active and more alert and more awake so they often come out with their daytime and their nighttime upside down that's that's the worst case scenario as i said best case is they don't know the difference um and it's our job as parents to, to help them understand the difference and that a bedtime routine is absolutely critical to that so many parents worry when I say the word routine that they think oh that means some form of sleep training or something really strict and really regimented and it's not a bedtime routine is saying at a certain point around about the bedtime that you'd want it to be whether it's seven o'clock eight o'clock six o'clock a newborn it's not so important around the exact timing but around that period to say daytime is now done we've done the daytime we've done the daylight we've done the feeding and then sleeping during the the, the lovely brightness of daytime whether that's in the house or whether that's out the house uh, yeah. parts of the day nighttime is now about darkness it's about calm low stimulation so moving the, the environment effectively from that bustling or maybe more active stimulation stimulating environment to a more dimly lit more quieter area of the house whether that's the parents bedroom or wherever the baby's sleeping and doing the last feed of the day they are doing a, a little bath or a water, top and tail wash and getting that routine in place then getting the baby into a fresh sleep suit and into maybe a sleeping bag if they're sleeping in one or in their blanket before they go into the crib you're creating a, not only a routine that you're repeating every single night, you're also creating that differentiation between the daytime ending and nighttime beginning. Now, we can't tell our babies what is happening, so they don't understand at this stage, but we can show them. If we show yeah. them the same things day in, day out, they will understand what is coming next, and babies will then to start to feel really safe and really secure in the environment and what's going on. So by doing that bedtime routine, you're building up towards helping with baby understand that nighttime is coming and the chance to sleep longer stretches. That won't always happen, but it should start to, to come around kind of four, six, eight weeks that okay. baby might be able to sleep three, four hour stretches rather than maybe waking every couple of hours and by that you're then showing the baby daytime and nighttime and if you can get the daytime and nighttime right you will get those long longer stretches at night you you will get the baby a bit more alert in the day again they'll still be sleeping long a huge number of hours over the 24 hour period but the times that they will be awake would hopefully then be more in the daytime 
rather than in those nighttime periods, which we had with Maliki. And around four or five weeks, we found that he was awake for a couple of hours in the nighttime and less awake during the day. And that's not the right order. So during the day, we then started to wake him up a little bit more, which can be challenging. So we, we gave him a lukewarm bath a couple of times. We we put some very kind of lukewarm cloths on his right. head and his body just to kind of arouse him and alert him. And he would then start to wake up. What we were doing then is by showing him that he should be more awake in the daytime, he was then start he began within three days, started sleeping more at night and also not waking up those that kind of really alert during the night where he thought it was kind of playtime and, and stimulation time. So those are the two things. Bedtime routine and then and separating your day and night. Your daytime routine doesn't come. We're we're kind of four and a half months into Malikane. We're only just now establishing a daytime routine. I'm not a big believer in establishing a daytime routine before this stage because it's they're just sleeping too much. And it's just important to kind of go with the flow. Have your bedtime routine, have your timings in place of when they wake up and when you want them to go to bed and as long as they're feeding throughout the day. But certainly I wouldn't get too regimented during the day at this stage up until kind of four or five months. Before that, it's all about kind of going with the flow and having that bedtime routine in place. Okay, they're two very, very good points, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really yeah. are. And, and, and often parents go with the flow a little bit too much, which, yeah, again, yeah. is understandable, especially as first-time yeah. parents. I, I think when you come home from the hospital and you get yourself settled down after 10, 14 days, you can start to implement it. That's where often dad can be really useful as well. It depends on the situation, yeah. obviously. If it's a mum and dad environment, um, maybe mum might be breastfeeding a lot and just kind of focusing on the feeding uh, primarily that's where dad can take maybe a little bit of a step back and say well I can do this mum's going to be feeding I'm not going to set some routines in place and uh, and do part of that bedtime routine whilst mum has a, a little bit of a break doesn't always work like that in a bottle feeding family it's, it's a little bit different because well certainly in this family we, we were a bit more kind of equal in everything we did um, yeah. but that's not always the case and, and that's an opportunity for dad to kind of get involved because especially with breastfeeding parents dads can feel a little bit left out of the process as well as we move on then chris the famous we we hear so much about the four-month sleep progression so the baby is <laughs> now a little bit older yeah and you've been through it yourself with your youngest maliki recently and documenting yeah. it on instagram can yeah. you explain more about it for parents and why does it happen and what can they expect absolutely and i think just to, to, to kind of clarify the myth, I guess. So many parents say to me, well, I, my child definitely go through the four-month sleep regression. And the, and, the, right. and the unfortunate answer is yes, absolutely. As part of the development, it has to happen. And I'll explain why in a second. We noticed it with Teddy, for sure. With Rafferty, our second child, he just started waking for a week and having a bottle and going back to sleep. And it was all very kind of easy. Uh, with Maliki, it's been a little bit more difficult because uh, he's been really badly teething at the same time. Um, yes. But the four-month regression is around the way that the sleep physiology is changing in a child. So for the first kind of three plus three-ish months, three to three and a half months, up to four, babies are sleeping as newborns, which is quite unsettled sleep. It's it's going between something called quiet sleep, which is as you would expect, eyes are closed, nice and content and settled. 50% of the time and 50% of the time in active sleep, which is where a baby's rustling around, moving a little bit, eyes are flickering. Often you think they're awake when they're actually asleep. And it's quite unsettled sleep, and that, but that's newborn sleep for you. 
at the four-month regression, what is happening is that a baby's sleep is, is developing into sleep cycles, which is what they will then have for the rest of their lives. Adults, we sleep in cycles. Now, it's a little bit different between children uh, and adults. I, I, we're not quite sure of what age it starts to develop a little bit more um, as adult-like. But adults will sleep in cycles of about one and a half to two hours. It's, it's not quite scientific as that, but we go into deeper stages of sleep, up to five stages of sleep, four deep and, and one lighter sleep. Babies sleep um, in 40 to 45 minute cycles. Um, and that's what babies are doing at the four month regression. They are developing their sleep physiology into something that they will have for the rest of their life, albeit that will develop a little bit as well. So the whole sleep physiology is changing. Imagine the impact on their body and their, uh, when this is happening. That unfortunately also coincides with teething, usually. It also yeah. coincides with a growth spurt, usually. And it also usually uh, coincides with their social awareness developing. So there's a lot going on physically and cognitively at the one time. And with any regression, with any babies developing, when there's a lot going on developmentally, physically and or cognitively, it will usually impact their sleep. And at four months, that is no different. The four months is the hardest to take often because it's usually not always, but usually one of the biggest impacting ones. Out of, there's, there's quite a few, but the main ones are four months, eight months, and, and 18 months. And we've just come through it. Um, we're still yeah. having period, periods at the moment where he's unsettled during the night because of his teeth. He's also just started rolling this week, which are wanting, he's, he's rolled once, he's starting to really want to roll. That and the teething together is a combination which will impact sleep. So we're getting woken around four o'clock uh, the last few nights and, and being a bit unsettled. So it's a really tough time for parents. I've got an article um, on the four-month sleep regression, which basically gives top tips to survive it. But Very it's good. not about stopping it. It's about trying to make sure that you do not create long-term patterns that you do not want and that's the best bit of advice i can give to any parent but it's difficult do you remember the the four-month regression with your i children? definitely do yeah where <laughs> they come as out of nowhere and as you say you have them in a good routine because you know especially second kitty or third kitty you're a bit more experienced yeah you have them in a good routine but i started to read about the four-month sleep regression and it, it just made a lot of sense it's about that cognitive development mm -hmm. and their social circumstances are changing and they're trying to create, you know, you have the physiology of the, the chemicals being released in the brain because yep. they're literally nailing it down for the rest of their life, that passion. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's the punches that don't you don't see coming or the hardest to take. And I think that's the case with so many parents. Yeah. Um, usually between four and eight months, lots going on, rolling, maybe even crawling, lots of cognitive development before you get to maybe the eight-month regression. So you can, you'll see patterns of sleep changing. But mm -hmm. in that first three months, it's often really, really bad sleep, really, really bad sleep, less bad sleep, and then maybe quite good. And yeah. then it just can fall is... apart in, a, in one night. Yeah. It's just out of nowhere in one night. It doesn't even build up to it. It just happens. And I think that's what parents find really difficult to take and accept. Hard. And Chris, let's talk, let's change and move a little bit around naps now, right? The famous mm. naps. What's your advice about daytime naps and how do they influence nighttime sleep? It's so important, Frank. And I think that's something that 
we as first time parents made mm. a mistake of and I can understand why because I see it now with so many parents that they, they don't prioritise daytime sleep enough. They know that their baby's a little bit maybe grumpy and cranky, but they also think if the baby sleeps too much during the day, they won't sleep at night. And actually if the baby's difficult to settle at bedtime, actually maybe they're sleeping too much. But it's not often the case. It's usually because the baby's not sleeping enough during the day, which is then means that they're becoming a little bit overtired, which is increasing the cortisol levels in their body, which is effectively yeah. acting like adrenaline. They get a second wind, they start getting grumpy and fight, fighting everything. And then it's just a really bad cycle to get into, which will then impact often their settling capability at bedtime and their nighttime sleep. Now, it's so true. Sleep breeds sleep. Babies that sleep better in the day will sleep better in the night. And I think that's, again, going back to our experience, we used to have our first child teddy up by about 3.30, maybe right. 4 o'clock, absolute maximum, when he was six months old, before we used a sleep consultant for a 7 o'clock bedtime. Babies at six months can only stay awake for absolute maximum about two hours. Parents need to understand that actually... Babies need to sleep quite a lot during the day. At six months, they should be sleeping somewhere between three and a half and maybe kind of four and a half hours per day, three naps, and as late as maybe kind of one and a half hours before bedtime. Um, as they get to nine months, they probably will start to reduce that to maybe two naps, uh, totaling about three hours. Um, and they'll probably sleep something around between two and three hours up until maybe two, two and a half years old as they start to think about dropping that one nap. The lack of sleep in the daytime, as I said, their level will lead to that cortisol, which will lead or over tiredness, which will lead to that um, release of cortisol, which will cortisol wakes us up. And if you yeah. think that it wakes us up and our base level of cortisol has just been increased because of the overtiredness, then our babies are going to be uh, in a more state of alert and awake than they should be when they're going to bed and also during the night when they should be sleeping. So overtiredness is, is a real problem for many, many parents, and it's usually driven by the lack of daytime sleep. But but I do make it sound like it's really easy to get your child to sleep during the day. That's not always the case. Babies, yeah. like my own Maliki, has, yeah. have stamina. They also don't know necessarily know how to settle themselves to sleep, which then means there's a lot of emphasis on parents to try and um, cuddle them to sleep, to rock them to sleep, um, to put them in a, a pushchair stroller and, and help them to sleep. That often can lead to parents thinking there's just so much effort to do this. And if the baby's not sleeping long periods of time, that can mean that they're, they're actually doing four or five naps a day. For parents, that's that's exhausting, that's draining. It feels like you're just constantly napping your child. But if they're not sleeping long periods, you do have to do four or five naps a day because the period that they can stay awake um, is going to be quite short. Um, right. As I said, parents don't always understand that. So my job is obviously working with clients, I do educate them, but, but also my followers on social media is to try and educate them and help them understand the importance of uh, what we call wake windows, the period between naps of how long a baby can stay awake, roughly how long babies should be able to or should be sleeping for in a in a 24-hour period, um, and the things that we can do to help our baby sleep during the day because it's so important. Has your newborn baby been diagnosed with reflux? Or are they crying and unsettled all the time? We have been working with newborn babies for over 20 years and in healthcare for over 30 years and we have created an online course bringing together information from all our years of experience specifically for parents of newborn babies and reflux babies. In Baby Reflux A New Approach 
we will show you how to identify the cause or causes of your baby's reflux. This, we believe, is the first step to solving your baby's distress. The course is packed with valuable information for new parents with over 150 minutes of video content and 36 downloads. For more information, see the link in the captions or follow us on Instagram at Frank Kelleher Baby Osteopath. Because like that leads me on to sort of my next question, which is you're a dad of three, so I imagine you understand how this may work with the first baby. But when you've other kiddies, you know, they say that kiddies should, you know, ideally babies should nap in their cots. But if you've other kids, you're doing a school run, you're coming, doing, coming in back and forth from school. You might have to do a pickup from the nursery. Yep. What's your advice to parents about this? That's a really good question, Frank. And it's something that I, I am always at pains to tell either potential clients, followers or actual clients. I'm a very flexible sleep consultant. I've worked with so many clients that have spoken to either sleep consultants in the past or actually worked on unsuccessfully with uh, with other sleep consultants. And a lot of that is because the unsuccessful side of it is because the sleep consultants are quite rigid. Now, there's a real balance between having discipline and consistency and commitment to the changes you need to make versus actually there is a lot of commitments through there that we need to make sure we're very mindful of and, and we have to have flexibility. Because I've worked with so many clients, I've got the confidence and the know-how and the experience to know that we can still be flexible and get results. Whereas when you're you're a parent of two, three, four kids, and, and by the way, just because you've got two kids or three kids or four kids already doesn't mean that you don't need a sleep consultant. There, there's so many parents I work with that... Again, they think, oh, it's my fourth child. I should be able to get them to sleep. Why can't I? I did it with the first three. All children within the same family are different. And and, and that's something to, to, to kind of really remember as parents. But um, yes. there are times when you have got other kids and you have to manage school runs. And it is about catching naps in the car. It is sometimes about catching naps in the pram and building your, your structure around it. Maybe it, it means waking the baby a little bit earlier than seven o'clock. Ideally, you'd wouldn't, but if it means that you can get a baby a nap in before you, um, before you go on the school run, or if you're yeah. going to pram and it works better that way, then do it. So you have to have flexibility in your day. And sometimes, as I said, it isn't always about naps in the cot. It's sometimes about just getting naps when you can. Even if a baby's supposed to be sleeping three naps in the day, well, if a couple of them are on the move because of school runs and you end up with four naps, so be it. That's the flexibility that's really important. It, it, it's about making sure that a baby is not going from morning to night without the right spread of naps that leads to them being overtired at certain periods of the time. And as I said, if that's catching naps on the move, then I'm all for it. I'm all for it because that's more important than doing it in the in inverted commas in the right way. What I, what I try and to, to help parents kind of visualise a little bit more, I always say it's like feeding. Just because you're out for the day or you've got lots going on in the day, you wouldn't not feed your child. You might just do a feed on the move, whether it's a bottle or breastfeed or whether it's a um, a solids meal, depending on the age of the child. Um, but you wouldn't not give them food or milk. And it's the same with sleep. It might not be in the car. It might be in a cafe. It might be in the car. It might be in the stroller, as I mentioned. But you'd still need to get them sleep. They're still tired, just like they're still hungry, just because you're not in the house to give them the meal. I feel that that's a good way of kind of 
um, representing or yeah. kind of showing a different way to look at it. And I think sometimes sleep does get forgotten about during the day a little bit by parents, not because they don't want to, but because they find it difficult. But again, if you compare it to, to food and nutrition, you, you wouldn't compromise on that. And I don't think you should Easy. compromise on sleep. You just might have to be flexible around how you do it and when you do it and where you do it. Now we talk about the Holy Grail, <laughs> which is sleeping through the night is the Holy Grail, let's be honest, for parents, isn't it really? And like, what does sleeping through the night mean to you? And at what age can you realistically mm-hmm. expect the baby to sleep all night? So I, so without wanting to sound like I um, disagree, I, I, parents, for parents, the Holy Grail is sleeping through. My Holy Grail is self-settling. And okay. what I mean by that is if a baby can settle to sleep without being um, having to be put on the breast or bottle to fall asleep, without being having to be rocked in the arms to sleep or walked to sleep or um, patted to sleep or on a bounce ball to sleep. These are some of the examples that I come across working with parents. If a baby can go into the crib or caught awake and fall asleep on their own, whether that be with parent nearby in the room or parents already walked out the room because they know that their baby will settle that is the holy grail for me because if a baby can settle themselves well let me flip it the other way if a baby needs help to get to sleep so needs to be rocked to sleep or patted to sleep or fed to sleep there is a very good chance that during the night when they wake and as we talked earlier about sleep cycles at the end of cycles babies wake some some sleep cycles they wake a little bit heavier or they wake a little bit more than others yeah, but at some points during the night they will wake, and if they needed help to get to sleep in the first place, they're likely to need that same help to get to sleep when they wake during the night. Also, the other way to look at it is if a baby's fallen asleep on the breast, the bottle from being rocked, the last thing they remember is being in mum or dad's or caregivers' arms, and then suddenly when they do wake up during the night, they're in a crib or cot, and they're like, "Well, how did this happen? I'm on my own." And then they're upset and they don't know what to do to get to sleep because they're, they're used to getting assistance to, to fall asleep. So if you can get a baby to fall asleep on their own without any of that support, they fall asleep in the crib or caught on their own, they are more likely to fall back to sleep when they do wake during the night because they know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that for me, that's the holy grail. So when I speak to potential clients and people, followers, parents, it's not about necessarily sleeping through. If you can nail the self-settling, Babies will typically sleep more often than not long stretches of night. Now, they might not sleep all night because they might need a feed um, or they might need a little bit of, uh, if they're teething, they might need a little bit of support for their pain relief for the teeth. Um, yeah. Sometimes they might just need a cuddle, if for example, they're going through a bit of a development. But generally, if a baby can self-settle, they will only wake if they actually need something rather than a baby who can't self-settle and is waking because they don't know how to get back to sleep. With regards to your question around sleeping through, so the self-settling is absolutely critical, but realistically, a baby can sleep through from, some do, as I said, before the four-month regression, they can sleep through the night. Others will do it after, five months, six months. Some don't sleep through until three, four, five years old, whether that's with or without the help of a sleep consultant. Um, I think realistically, somewhere between um, six and 12 months is realistic because 
babies will start to reduce the amount of milk they need. They're certainly around nine and ten months as they, they increase their dependence on solids. Um, but there's a lot of factors taken into consideration how much the baby drinks during the day, um, the size of the baby as well. But I think anything between six and 12 months is fairly realistic. After 12 months, I wouldn't say it's a given, but babies should be able to sleep through the night after a year. Okay, okay, that's again very good information. It's it's a bit of a varied answer, but it's. Uh, I understand. Yeah, I understand the whole principle that if you teach a baby to be able to sleep or self settle, then if they do wake in the middle of the night out of a cycle, then if they're able to self settle, it's more likely they'll go back into the next cycle. Yeah, yeah that makes total sense. Exactly, exactly. Tell me a little bit, you touched on it a little bit there about the consequences of a baby being overtired. You mentioned cortisol. Yes in the brain and that that affects the cycle just expand on that a little bit for me because it obviously affects their ability to sleep doesn't it yeah absolutely so there's there's two hormones without wanting to to go too scientific and and, and bore anyone um mm. there's two hormones that help us humans sleep and that's or sleep and stay awake there's it's cortisol which helps us awake and there's melatonin which is the hormone that helps us sleep now in a 24-hour period Babies will typically slip, sleep anything between kind of 12, 14, 16 hours, depending on their age, and be awake for the, the difference of that time. Whereas adults are more maybe seven or eight hours of sleep and then and awake for about 16 hours. When we go to bed at night, our body clock starts, we get signals from the brain to produce something called melatonin. That is the hormone that will make us feel sleepy. And, and as we start to get tired at night, that's the melatonin building in our body. As we go through the night, our sleep gets lighter because the melatonin is starting to reduce. Our cortisol levels are starting to increase. Now, cortisol can often be seen as a bad hormone because it's often known as fight or flight. It's 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 produced when we get into slightly stressful situations, and it is a bit of a stress hormone. Too much of it's not good, but we need cortisol in our bodies because if we didn't have cortisol, we would only ever be in a sleepy state, just like we need melatonin. Otherwise, we would never get into a sleepy state. So the melatonin helps us get to sleepy state and cortisol helps us get wake up in the morning effectively and stay alert throughout the day. The cortisol will start to build as the night goes on. Now, if we are overtired, our babies are overtired, they will start to build up more cortisol in their body, which means their base level of cortisol in their bodies will be much higher than it would be if they were in a normal state. So rather than that cortisol building towards their wake-up time at, say, 7 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock, whatever it may be, if they've been overtired, their cortisol levels will be higher and it will start to build higher through the night, which means then it's more likely that the cortisol level that would wake them up naturally around about 6 or 7 will be higher and it might start waking them at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning. Again, just because their cortisol levels are higher in their body than in an earlier part of the of the, of the night structure, so rather than at six or seven in the morning, it'll be higher and they'll wake them up at five o'clock. And often babies wake up at that time fully alert, fully awake because they've got so much cortisol pumping around their their, their brains that they actually it's like they've had enough sleep. Overall, they've probably not had enough sleep, um, and you'll see that play out for the rest of the day. But at that time, they're alert. They're happy, they're content. But parents are probably not happy and content because it's five o'clock <laughs> in the morning and they don't want to be getting up at that time. Yes, so that's where daytime yeah. sleep is really, really important yeah. to reduce. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just about the amount of daytime sleep. As I, as I kind of touched upon earlier, and I maybe should expand on it, it's about getting from morning to evening with 
the the kind of spread of sleep. So, for example, if a baby should be sleeping about three hours in the day, then if they slept from nine o'clock in the morning to twelve o'clock in the in the afternoon or midday, mm-hmm. yes, they've got their uh, kind of quote unquote quota for the day yeah. of, of daytime sleep. What they do have is probably somewhere between six and seven hours until bedtime. And if and if they can only go uh, stay awake for about let's call it three hours, then they're staying awake or expected to stay awake for double that time, they will get significantly overtired, which will then lead to the problems. So whilst that three hours is the quota, roughly, actually that's better split into two naps, one and a half hours in the morning and one and a half hours in the afternoon. Because a baby, after a certain amount of sleep, a baby will, will still have the same amount of time that they can stay awake until the next sleep. So it's not just about the amount of sleep, it's about the spread of sleep. It's about making sure that that final nap of the day Yes. It's not too far away from bedtime. If they're able to stay awake for three hours, then the final nap should finish around three hours before bedtime. Just like I, I mentioned earlier, that yeah. a six-month-old generally can only stay awake for one and a half to two hours. So therefore, their final nap should be no more than one and a half to two hours before bedtime. Otherwise, they will get overtired. And that explains it as well very well about the chemicals that are controlling sleep and wakefulness, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's... I try not to explain it too much because I think it can parents can go, oh, you're talking science and they can switch off, but it's yeah. really important. And that's why I talk a lot about overtiredness. And actually, parents struggle with overtiredness. They often, especially as a baby gets a bit older, becomes a toddler, what is overtired versus undertired? And it can look very much the same, but overtiredness can be very visibly seen through hyperactivity, overenergetic, emotional up and down, yeah. slightly volatile. Whereas a baby that's a toddler that's undertired will be quite content, maybe energetic, but their mood will be a little bit more content, not so naughty, um, kind of a little bit more equilibrium to them, whereas an overtired baby will be the complete opposite, full of energy, but also full of emotion as well. And that's something to really look out for, for parents that are struggling with early wakings or difficult bedtimes as well, that overtiredness. You talked about, this is a new term for me, sleep pressure. When when you're tired um, and you go to bed at night, you generally can drop off to sleep. Most people can drop off to sleep, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, the sleep pressure's there. The deepest part of the sleep is also in that early part of the night. There's nothing more challenging than going to bed, say 10 o'clock, and your baby wakes you at 11 o'clock because you have, you're have you in a deep sleep and you are tired. And that's much harder to get up than at 4 o'clock, albeit if you wake up at 11 o'clock, you know you've got a few hours to catch up, whereas at 4 o'clock, <laughs> you might be starting your day. Yes. Um, but And you're tired. You might be tired during the day. You've had a, you've not such good sleep, and you want to go for a daytime nap. Obviously, that's as most adults, that's not always attainable unless you move to a different country and you can get a siesta. Um, but daytime yeah. naps always sound lovely. But if you did have a, a daytime nap, despite how tired you were, you'd find it, and you you made the room really dark and really quiet. You'd find it much more difficult to get to sleep for that daytime nap than you will at bedtime, and that's because you don't have that melatonin in your body. At, at daytime naps, um, the sleep pressure is not there. You're tired, but the sleep pressure is not there, and that's the same. For, and that's not the case at nighttime. Nighttime, you do have that melatonin, that sleep pressure. Your body is ready to go to sleep for a number of hours, and it's the same with babies. 
So where some babies certainly will sleep really well for maybe the first four or five hours of the night, they've got the sleep pressure, the lots of melatonin. Maybe after midnight, their sleep will start to deteriorate as the sleep gets, their melatonin starts to reduce, they become a little bit lighter in sleep. But it also feeds in why lots of parents have so many challenges with daytime naps. The sleep pressure for babies is not quite there. They're tired. They absolutely need restorative, uh, restorative sleep to get them through to the next phase of the day. But the sleep pressure is not quite there. They want to be hanging out with mum and dad, their yeah. grandparents or their carers, playing with lots of toys, lots of social awareness. They have something we all know is formal, fear of missing out. Babies really struggle with daytime naps because of those reasons, whereas at nighttime, often the case, it is a little bit easier to get children down because of that sleep pressure. But all it is is that melatonin that's building in the body. The, the right. body clock is saying, OK, it's seven o'clock for children, let's say 10 o'clock for adults. It's now time for you to start kind of shutting your body down for, for sleep. Yeah, no, that's very good, because I often came up with the same where parents would be saying, why, why won't he do the daytime or the won't do the daytime naps and I'd say because kiddies don't put value to daytime naps because it's they want to be doing as you said going out playing with the toys running around the back garden so they have no value on the actual sleep itself whereas if you asked an adult would you like to go for a siesta for a couple of hours yeah, yeah. no problem I'll take that <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. Whereas kids, they don't place value on sleep during no. the day because it's preventing them from doing the stuff they yeah. love doing. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing I would say, and going back to my earlier point, Frank, around sleep, breathe, sleep. Once babies, especially babies, once babies start to understand the value of sleep, yeah. um, that their mood is better, they're, they're, they're usually hungrier as well, they feed better, um, it gets easier. Okay. But you have to almost break through that ceiling, and, and, and that's where the persistence and consistency comes with um, whether it's sleep training or whether it's kind of just helping a baby kind of settle for their naps. If you can get break through that ceiling and, and have pat, a good, strong, consistent pattern around it, you'll find that your baby will become or should become less kind of resistant to it because they start to recognize the benefits of it. Not always. But often is the case. So that's why consistency is really important so that baby will get the opportunity to go, okay, I get it now. I see that sleep is actually benefit beneficial to me. That's where they'll start to hopefully go down for naps a bit easier. And for those ones that do go down for naps but wake consistently after 45 minutes, the, the cat nappers of the world, they can often then start sleeping longer periods because if they, again, they understand the benefits of sleeping for maybe an hour and a half or two hours at a time um, yeah. for their ability to play later on in the day. So again, sleep, breed, sleep. So investing time and in getting a baby to settle for naps does usually pay, pay dividends or reap dividends. The other thing that that's very interesting, and this is just with my own line of work, really, is that if a baby or a toddler comes in to me and they don't have an obvious physical issue that might be preventing them from sleep, then I pretty much always refer them to a sleep consultant because I would see babies um, and toddlers for sleep issues where they've been referred to me by a sleep consultant because the sleep consultant thinks there's an underlying physical issue, like they may have an allergy to, to cows they may have ear infections or recurring glue ear they might even have a tongue tie and mm -hmm. um, i recently saw a kitty who was sent to me by a sleep consultant who was seven months old and had a really poor sleeping pattern and the sleep consultant said look frank i need you to check this baby to see was there something underlying and there was this baby had a tongue tie and obviously i sent them on to dr justin roach 
because it was interfering with their their sleeping patterns. Do you find that as well? That like trying to, you know, figure out if there is an underlying physical issue? Yeah, it's, it's something that I speak to the parents about on the initial. So I have an, a, a yeah. structure where I have an, a free initial 15 minutes call um, t- for the, the parents to find out more about me how I work, where they would want to work with me and how the programme works. And on that call, I'll talk about any health issues. That's really, really important. Yeah. I try and get a sense of of whether or not there's potential issues still underlying. Often the parents are quite open with me about it around tongue tie was done or reflux is still around. Usually I can tell within the first week if we're not making improvements, there must be something underlying. That's not me being kind of ignorant or arrogant to my approach and, and the success of it. Um, but usually I will be able to see some level of improvement. Even if it's not a radical improvement, I should be able to see some improvement and some progress. So if there's potential health issues that have been hanging around or were around, allied with not seeing improvements, I will make those suggestions of, have you thought about this? Have you thought about seeing an osteopath? Often I will do that, especially if baby's never been able to lie on the back. I don't work with babies until they're five months old and upwards. Um, and often by then, parents have went through the whole kind of suite of options available to them, osteopath, tongue tie, potential reflux. They've kind of went through what the possibilities could have been and they might have resolved it, might not have identified anything. Allergies is another one, obviously. But at the same time, we can still improve sleep. There's there's very few times that you can't improve sleep, even with those things. I've had three boys, especially in my third, acid reflux, really, really bad. He was still able to self-settle. Okay. So again, yeah. he might not have been able to sleep all night. The holy grail for me then was the self-settling. So even if he could sleep stretches of four hours or five hours at a time, that is amazing compared to maybe a, a reflux baby, a baby with reflux that, that can't self-settle and is, is constantly sleeping on the parent all night or can only lie on their back for maybe an hour or two before they become unsettled. So it's about also setting out the goals and what is realistic at this time frame. Is there any sort of final thoughts now from yourself about about this? I think I think you touched on that point there. It's practical. I think that's what I've always set out to be as a sleep consultant. Is practical. At the end of the day, I might be a sleep consultant, but I'm a dad. Yeah. I have now three boys, and oh God, I wish I knew all the information I knew now when I had one child. Obviously, when you have only one child, you don't really know that much, and it's just there's so much fear around everything. But it's about being practical. I don't go into any uh, consultation or any uh, program with a client and, and kind of force them to do, you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. It's about kind of working within the boundaries of what makes improvements, but also being practical around real life. I, I, a great example on this is TV. So many sleep consultants, so many parents come to me, oh, I don't watch TV, can't watch TV, the blue light uh, stimulates the brain and before bedtime, absolutely no, no we watch tv because it actually winds our children down they they watch uh, cbb's over here it winds them down it relaxes them it gives mum and dad a chance to just sit down and breathe at six o'clock at night which we don't often get a chance to do um and that to me is much more rewarding or much more productive than the whole 
downsides, which are real downsides of, of the blue light and the stimulation in the, in the brain for from, from TVs and iPads. You can't just throw an iPad or a, a phone at a baby just before they're about to go to bed and expect everything to be perfect. But it's also got to be realistic around what your lifestyle is like and um, also understanding your children. If they respond better to a bit of TV and winding them down before bed, that's more important than what the books say. So practical if you're going to work with a sleep consultant and uh, when you speak to clients as well right it's about finding somebody that's practical that can work within your natural boundaries of, of having a family of maybe multiple kids um, and that's really really important thanks so much to chris mcfadden aka the daddy sleep consultant for all those helpful tips and advice he has given us if you would like some more information about chris and the work he does Follow him on Instagram at the Daddy Sleep Consultant or see his website www.thedaddysleepconsultant.ie. If you like our podcast, remember to subscribe and give us a follow too on Instagram at the Happy Baby Podcast. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>